Cool you off, man. That was on fire. Woo! Thank you, Jonathan. My goodness. So what can I say? Let's go home. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, I'm sorry for those of y'all who didn't stay around long enough last night to go to the talent show. What awesome talent over at the talent show. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Evidently, that's a good tradition that you have here with the, uh, the youth program, huh? And that, and that talent show. Um, whew, that was, it was something. Not sure what, but it, it was something. No, it was good. It was good. Thank you. Well, here we are kind of winding down. A long time of uh, you having to listen or put up with, with me and uh, my stories and uh, uh, hopefully getting a little bit of the Word of God in all of that. Uh, tonight, tomorrow night, and, and then we're off. It has been a great pleasure to be here at uh, Sharon Camp over this, this period of time. And, and I, I thank you for your hospitality and your warmth, your the new friendships that we've made, we, we thank you very much. Jonathan last night, had, uh, while we were fellowshipping afterward, maybe it was two nights ago, was talking about singing on an Easter Sunday at a church that caught on fire. Any of y'all there when that church caught on fire? It's amazing when a church catches on fire, people come around to find out what's going on. I remember the story about a guy who's watching a church burn down and the pastor's just kind of standing there looking at it. said, Pastor, I've seen this church for 30 years and I've never seen it on fire. I wonder what would happen if a church would actually be on fire and not consume, you know, kind of like the burning bush. And, and that fire comes and does an amazing thing of putting people on fire. Fires just have a tendency of drawing people together. A bonfire. You love to stand around a bonfire. You love to stand around a bonfire, particularly with the uh, marshmallows and the chocolate and the uh, graham crackers. And you make those uh, things called... S'more, s'more, give me s'more. I, I don't know exactly what that means, but give me s'more. I can remember 47 years ago. It was the July 4th weekend in 1970. And we were having a devotional at a youth camp around that bonfire on Saturday night, July 4th. We had shot up fireworks. We had had a good time together. And, and as we're just standing around, I guess back in those days we'd sing, Kumbaya, my Lord. That great altar call song. Uh, no, I, I bet you we were probably singing, It only takes a spark. Some of you older people know that one. To get a fire going. And soon all those around 
can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you want to sing. It's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. I don't know the rest of the verses. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Whatever it was, that weekend was a weekend of fire for me. I date my birthday to July 5th, 1970. The Sunday after that bonfire when we gathered and worshipped together at a camp in, in South Carolina... Did I say that right? South Carolina? Mm -hmm. South Carolina. The preacher preached about the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I grew up in a holiness church where everything was emblazoned with holiness unto the Lord. That's kind of our mantra in the holiness movement. Our altar table... Our, our, we don't do communion in the Salvation Army. That's a whole different uh, sermon. But our, what we call a holiness table, a place of prayer that the saints will come and just pray there instead of at the mourner's bench, the mercy seat. We have a holiness table and emblazoned across it, usually engraved in fancy script. It says holiness Unto the Lord. And I grew up in that church for 16 years and didn't recall ever hearing about what the Holy Spirit could do in our hearts. Shame on us! I grew up not hearing in a holiness church what holiness will do in our lives. And what it will do is set us on fire. So I prayed, not at the holiness table, but at the mourner's bench, at the mercy seat. I don't know what you call it. We we just kind of generically call it the altar, but back in the old days I used to call it the mourner's bench. And I knelt down there, It was under a tent. We hadn't yet built the tabernacle out at that camp. It was this huge, huge tent. And and I knelt. I heard somebody talking the other night about this place having sawdust and uh, open sides with, with canvas. Well, we were that with a canvas roof. And when it rained and somebody happened to touch one of those little canvas things, you know, water starts coming down. It didn't rain that day. It rained last night, though, didn't it? I'm a little croaky today for for trying to yell so loud. And and, uh, Kelly was trying to keep me loud enough. And um, I imagine that the the recording of whatever I said last night, uh, it just kind of peaked right off of the meters. Nobody's going to be able to hear what that sermon said last night. So, you know, y'all got the monopoly on it. When they gave the altar call after preaching about the fire of the Spirit, and I said, 
I want that. God, if, if this is really true, that's what I want. And it was about 11.45 when I knelt down at that altar. And you know how Pastor Dan says, okay, if you must leave, leave quietly. And, and those that are at the I was really the only one with a group of other young people who were around me. And pretty much everybody had left. But I couldn't for three hours. God, fill me with your spirit. I want this that, that the, the Bible says is going to happen to me if you fill me with your spirit. I want to be different. I want to be on fire. I want people to catch the warmth from me. I want to be the spark that changes their life. I want to pass it on. I guess we did sing that. I got up at around 3 o'clock that afternoon. And I have never been the same. That's the experience I want for God's church. I think it's the experience God wants for His church. That instead of, of all the junk that goes on in church, that we allow Him to set us on fire. Matthew 3.11 John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water. He will baptize you with fire. Wow. The Salvation Army flag, red, yellow, blue, it's got a star in the middle and it's got this slogan that says, Blood and Fire. Sounds kind of uh, gross. But the blood of Jesus Christ and the fire of the Holy Spirit is what's going to energize us to be all that God wants us to be. It's a great story in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Elijah had called for a drought in the land. King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, you should at least say, boo. Yeah, from the movie Annie, them's bad people, mister. Boo. And basically, Elijah was calling down a curse on Israel, the northern kingdom. On Samaria, on the Jezreel Valley, on Har Megiddo, where that final battle is going to take place. And when he was coming back to Ahab, who had been searching, he had sent people all over the country looking for Elijah. And Elijah comes back without his help, without Ahab's help. And he says to 
to uh, one of his servants, one of um, Ahab's servants, who was a godly man. He said, go tell Ahab I'm here. What, do you want me killed? You want me to go tell him that you're here? He'll just kill me. He said, no, it'll be okay. Just go. No, if I go tell him, you'll go run off and then he's going to be mad at me. No, I'm going to show myself to him. Go tell him. So he goes and he tells Ahab and he says, okay. And so when they finally meet, he says, you blankety blank. Now it says it a little nicer in the scripture. It's not very nice what it says. You troubler of Israel. And Elijah said, I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler. But see, Elijah had stopped the rain for three years. They are in a drought. As he's facing Ahab. It wasn't Ahab the Arab. It, it, it was the other Ahab. Yeah. Another Ray Stevens. Oh my goodness. What, where are we going in this world? The gospel according to Ray Stevens. He says to Ahab, I want you to call all of your priests of Baal and all of Jezebel's priests of Asherah who eat around her table. She takes care of them. She was not Jewish. She was not Israelite. But she was trying to run that country. I want to meet with me on Mount Carmel. And we're going to put, to put our gods to the test once and for all. First time we went to Israel was 30 years ago. And I was disappointed in that where we stopped was on the Mount Carmel range. Like, it's not just like, okay, here is Mount Carmel. You know, it was, here is Mount Carmel. A range running north and south between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jezreel Valley. We pulled into a little, like, roadside park. And they said, we really don't know where Elijah was. But uh, this is as good a spot as any. It's on Mount Carmel. Well, today when we go back to Israel, we go to a place where the Carmelite monks have made a monastery. It's the Carmelite Monastery. And on top of the monastery, on the roof, which is flat and concrete, so that you can all go up there and you're looking out at the Jezreel Valley. If this isn't the place, it sure is like the place where this happened. And one of the most exciting parts of our trip to Israel is standing on top of that Carmelite monastery and looking out at the Jezreel Valley where Samaria would have been, the city of Samaria would have been right there. There's the creek running down there, the river. And he said, I want you to come from Samaria up the mountain 
to where you have your high places, your altars, your place where you do your sacrifices to Baal and your sacrifices to Asherah. And then Elijah said this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, then He is God. If Baal is God, then He is God. And right here and now, we're going to settle it. I don't think it says it quite like that. But that's what he meant. Right here and now, here's what I want to do. And he talks to these prophets. And he says to them, You slaughter a bull and put it on an altar. And you call down fire from your God. And I will slaughter a bull and put it on an altar. And I'll call down fire from my God. The God who answers by fire, He is God. Oh man, the the priests of, of Baal and of Asherah, they were excited about this. Both Baal and our Jehovah God were associated with thunder was his voice. Lightning was how he spoke as well. And that the fire was kind of the symbol of both of those gods. So this is just an appropriate confrontation on Mount Carmel. So, he gives the other prophets and priests the privilege of going first. Y'all go ahead, there are more of you. Go ahead and do your sacrifice. Don't light the fire, but allow God, your God, to light the fire. Are you ready? Go! Well, you know, something like that. So he let them loose. The whole morning goes by, and they're shouting to their God, they're jumping up and down. They're, they're screaming. They had a, a ritual dance. Kind of like what I've seen some of y'all doing around here. They had this ritual dance going on. And about noon, Elijah says, Hey, why don't you shout louder? Because maybe he's busy. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Now your translation probably doesn't say that. But if you look at the translation of the original, it was being indisposed in the other outer rooms that they used for their bathroom, the latrine. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet. (laughs) This is so funny because the people that are worshiping Baal and worshiping Asherah are Israelites who knew the real God. Or they knew about the real God. And they're all getting whipped up in a frenzy. What 
Elijah had just done was totally insult their God. Our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our God does not travel on a vacation away from Him. Lo, I am with you always. Our God isn't busy meditating or thinking because He is in control of it all. Our God does not take on bodily functions like having to go to the bathroom. And Elijah had just insulted everything about them, about their gods. Well, they got so mad, they started screaming louder. They pull out their their sharp stones, and they're cutting themselves. You think cutting is a relatively recent thing? Uh Uh-uh. I hope you're not involved in cutting. But they were cutting themselves till they were covered with blood. And still nothing. Elijah says, okay guys, you've had long enough. Let's stop. My turn. And then he said, it says he built the altar of 12 stones. It was a broken altar. It had been broken. It was all run down. And he stacked these stones together, one for each tribe of Israel. And he put the wood up there and he placed the the sacrifice on the altar. And then he dug a ditch, a wide ditch around the altar. Remember, we are in a drought season. It hasn't rained in three years. And in Israel, water is very, very precious. The Dead Sea is drying up right now. The Dead Sea is now two dead puddles. It's divided between the the northern puddle and the southern puddle. You can still go and float because you can't sink in it. It's got so much salt. But you you, you you could drive an entire army across what's dry now. Water is very precious. And he says, fill the ditch with water. We're going to waste this water. Fill the ditch with water. Pour it on the sacrifice. Pour it on the sacrifice again. Pour it on the sacrifice again. You get the idea? He's now totally soaked. And soaked things don't usually burn. The great thing is, He prayed this simple prayer. Let me find it. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That was the total prayer 
he prayed. Our prayers don't have to be a whole bunch of words. In fact, Jesus preached against praying a bunch of words. All our many talking isn't going to persuade God. Our heart is. And when we come to Him and we just give Him what's on our heart, in that type of prayer, boy, the fire is going to come. Here's what it says. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah told everybody around there, gather up those prophets, take them down, we're going to kill them. They're going to become the sacrifice to their God because that's what I've been asked to do. You know, I wish that the story had a better ending as far as how the people who turned to God turned to God. But it doesn't seem to ever last with with those children of Israel. And quite, quite frankly, it doesn't always last with us. You have experiences over the past that you remember, oh wow, God was moving in such a powerful way. We forget to say, do it again, Daddy. We live on that 50-year-old testimony, Brother Dan. We talked about that earlier this week. People who give their testimony because it's something that happened 50 years ago and God blessed them then. Well, what has He done today? Do it again, Daddy. Let your fire fall. Let it come and consume the offering that we place on your altar. Therefore... Therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is God's will for you. Don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to know the perfect and absolute will of God for you. Do it again, Daddy. Pour that fire out on us. Amazing things happen when God pours His fire out on us. I'm going to give you three things that fire does. Let's see. It's 8 o'clock. Uh, we got to be through here by 9... What time is tomorrow morning's meeting? 9.30? Or until they ring that bell and we all have to go wherever. Three things... And then I'm going to close. Number one, fire purifies. You know what that means? Let, let me give you an example. When I was um, the pastor of, of a church in Oklahoma, right outside of Tulsa, we had a steel mill out steel mill outside of the city, just right there on the Arkansas River. Their main product was Armco T-Post, the steel post that you put into the ground and hook up 
fence wire to and all. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Um, they, they would start burning all this metal. And my chief deacon was one of the supervisors out there. And he said to me, Rick, I want to teach you something. Would you come see me at, at the uh, foundry? Okay, I'll be there, Jim, let's go. So I met him there, and he said, here, put this hard hat on and these goggles, because it gets rather uh, bright in here. And he took me out to this vat of hot, molten steel. I mean, it was glowing red, and it was hot. You know, I, by the time I get through preaching up here with this tunic on, I, I'm pretty hot. Nothing like that day, and I didn't take a tunic that day. I just went in short sleeves. And as I'm standing there, it's getting hotter and hotter. And he said, you see this stuff floating on the top? That's the impurities. And he had a little thing that went round and round. And it would just scrape off the impurities. Until that vat of molten steel was so pure that it could withstand whatever came against it. When the fire of the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, He wants to burn up all traces of sin and impurity, and He wants to make us strong, tempered steel. We had a car donated to us while we were at the Salvation Army in, in Melbourne, Florida. This car came from um, the beach side, and it was only maybe three years old. But the salt air and the sand had so corroded it that it looked like it had been in a war. I mean, it big old potholes in the, in the top. It was, it was awful. The car was like three years old. And so I, I asked somebody who would know, somebody at the dealer of this, I said, what causes this? And in a kind of an embarrassed way, he said, it's made with impure steel. Like when they crush all the cars and they just crush them with all of the seats and everything in it, and then they put it in a vat to melt it down and use it again, they haven't taken out all those impurities, all of that fabric and all of that stuff that, that was not steel, and instead just used that to pour the mold to make that car. I believe that Christians who try to live without that purifying fire in their hearts are going to end up being pitted, potted, whatever other P we can come up with, all over, at least in their heart. Fire purifies. Deuteronomy in the fourth chapter says, God is a consuming fire. Hebrews repeats that, says, 
Because our God is a consuming fire. That doesn't mean that he's there to make it so hot on us. It means that he's there to purify us. Malachi calls it the refiner's fire. When he's making pure gold out of us, he's got to heat it hotter than you can possibly imagine and then take off all of the impurities. He wants to purify us. Secondly, fire potifies. I made that up. Pyre fought, pot, 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 pot. Yeah. Pyre potifies. I went to school to try to be a, a, a doctor of psychoceramics. That's the study of crackpots. Some of y'all are crackpots. No, better not say that. Some of me am crackpots. If you've ever worked in ceramics, or you've, you've made something out of clay, and you've molded it, and you make it just like you want it to be, if you want it to be strong, you've got to put it in the fire. You've got to put it inside that kiln, and let the heat of that kiln bake it. Bake it and bake it. When you're going to make ceramics, it's got to be hotter than even just making a piece of pottery. If you're going to do ceramics, it's got to be really, really hot. Anybody here make ceramics, do the, the pottery and stuff? And the Oh, look at that. Am I right? I've made like one ceramic piece in my whole life. And you don't want to see it. If you want to be God's vessel that is made strong as a pot, it's kind of like what Jeremiah was told in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. I want you to go down to the potter's house and I want you to take note of what's happening in the potter's house. And the potter is working on his wheel and there's a little flaw. And so he just throws it back Throws all the lump back together, starts again. Oh, Israel, I wish I could do that with you. Oh, Sharon camp goers, I wish God could do it with us. To take our imperfections and start over. Throw that thing back down. Every year we do a marriage retreat, marriage enrichment retreat. And we've been doing it in the mountains of North Georgia. And uh, as an activity on Saturday afternoon, it's a weekend retreat, and to kind of get the couples to work together, we have this artist, local folk artist, come in, and we make ugly mugs. I don't know where this idea came from. My mug is ugly enough. We make, he, he already has the... the the greenware, the, the mug is, is there. It's still very pliable. And, and, you know, if you're not careful, you could ruin it right then and there because he doesn't have his wheel with him or anything. But he's got that, and he's got all of this other clay and magic water. I, I think he's lying to us. 
that, that you have to apply on to make it stick or whatever. And then you begin to put eyes in it and uh, broken ceramic plates and stuff or teeth. You, these mugs look ugly. I mean, mine, of course, looks like me. So it has this huge nose. And it's ugly. You put eyebrows on it. And then when you're all through with it, he takes them. And a couple weeks later, we go back up to the mountains. It gives us a great chance to go back up to the mountains. And we pick them up to bring them back to the couples. Because what he does with it is he puts it in the fire. And those things come out so ugly. But they're sturdy. They're heavy. They're going to do what they were intended to do, be an ugly mug. God wants to put us in his kiln and make us what we should be. He wants to potify us. Paul said to Timothy, In a house there are many different vessels. Some for noble purposes, some for ignoble purposes. I don't know if you're supposed to say the G or not, but ignoble. Purposes that aren't necessarily important. God wants to make you, Paul says, a vessel fit for the master's use. He wants to take you, shape you, fire you in the kiln, and make you a vessel fit for his use. Fire potifies. Thirdly, fire propels. If you don't believe me, when you try to go home tomorrow, try to do it without the spark burning the gasoline. Disconnect that spark plug and see if you go very far. Why? Because the spark is what makes that big old car go. If there's no spark, there is no combustion. There is no power. If you were in a theater and you yell fire, I guarantee it'll propel them. They'll go running out of there, trampling over everybody. And then you've got the popcorn all to yourself. In the book of Acts, when it says that the day of Pentecost had fully come and then they had been baptized with, with fire, the first thing that happened was it sent them out of whatever room they were in and people heard them spreading the gospel. I don't think so much that they were speaking in tongues as the people were hearing in tongues. That's what they said. How is it we are hearing in our own languages? Well, that's an interesting thought. What happened was the fire that got into those disciples, those just over a hundred probably that were up in that upper room, pushed them out. And because it pushed them out, you and I have that opportunity to know Jesus. What if they kept it to themselves? What if they just stayed in their room and sang glory songs or something? 
Kumbaya, my Lord. And they're just sitting there. Isn't this great, God? I'm singing a song. Okay. Reference to Buddy. Instead, they were propelled. They were sent out. That happened over and over and over again. When, when Peter was called to Joppa to speak to a centurion who, who sent for him, he, he goes over probably to uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's probably where he was. I mean, Caesarea Maritima is probably where he was. Joppa's just down the, the coast from there. And he, this guy comes and says, listen, our master wants you to come. Uh, I am so grateful for that that vision that Peter has that allows us to have barbecued pork. Thank you, God. But he said, okay, I'll go, and I'm not real sure what all this is about. I'm, I'm not supposed to be with unclean people. You know, I'm a, I'm a Jew. And God was doing this thing in his heart and changing him and propelling him outside of his comfort zone to the Gentiles. And there... And you better be glad he did because that started this whole spread into the Gentile world. And there, after he had given the gospel, without any warning at all, it says, and God just poured himself out on those people. He baptized them all with fire. Peter said, whoa, I had no clue this was going to happen. Or when Paul goes into Ephesus in the 18th, 19th chapters. In in the 18th chapter, this small group had been probably won to the Lord by Apollos who didn't know anything except about Jesus and John's baptism. And and, uh, he was evidently a very smart and educated guy who was good at, at arguing with people. I know a lot of people who are good at arguing. He would argue with them. He would give apologetics. But he didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul gets there in Acts 19, and he finds this small group, 12 guys sitting around singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. Have you been filled with the Spirit of God? With the Holy Spirit? And they looked at him dumbfounded. What in the world are you talking about? And so he began to share with them about what happened that Jesus promised this gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happened to those 12 guys is they turned the city of Ephesus upside down. Within a very short period of time, they had gone out and they had been proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They had been talking about this power that they've got. The city begins to get convicted They began bringing their witchcraft, their sorcery books, all of that stuff, by the way, which was one of the main reasons that Ephesus was a a popular city, because of the sorcery, the witchcraft, those occult arts, because of it being a port city, because of its brothel, because of all of these sinful things, including the temple of Artemis. And so this this riot starts. They go in. They're proclaiming Jesus. 
And when it's all said and done, the people had brought all their stuff to the city center and burned it. Said, this is the fire we want. God's fire. Burned all of that stuff. Transformed their lives. When Paul was on up the coast there in in Asia Minor, and he had what we call the Macedonian call. Come over here. That's northern Greece. And had it not been for that Macedonian call, and Paul became a missionary then to Europe, and that's where it spread towards me, and I'm glad he went to Neapolis and then to Philippi and Thessaloniki and Berea and all those places up there. Because the fire of the Spirit of God kept propelling him to minister. Tonight, the fire of God is propelling you and me to transform our cities, our churches. He is transforming. He wants us to transform ourselves and to allow the transformation in our churches to take place so that people will gather around and say, man, that church is on fire. I believe God wants to put His church on fire again. And I believe that the room here tonight is full of sparks ready to ignite the fire that God wants to do. Our Salvation Army song that I mentioned a long time ago, it has been a long time ago, that was my first night, I think, and I talked about William Booth writing, Send the Fire, Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, Send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Send us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost. Send the fire. We're going to just kind of wrap all of this up by singing one verse of a song that uh, I hope you know because it's not in your book. It says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you really seek God at this moment for that fire just to come and overtake you. To burn up, purify everything that's not of Him inside of your life. To shape you into the vessel that He has called you to be. To potify you. And then to send you out. Propel you. With this great, great power.
How many of you want it tonight? Lord, give me that fire. Give me that fire. Give me that fire. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, mold me, uh, melt me, mold me. The living God, fall fresh on me. Fill me. Use me. Send me out. Propel me. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. fresh on me. If you're relying on a not so fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You're suffering. You're hurting. You're having a hard time doing what God wants you to do. The disciples in Acts, when you, when you start reading about their, their constant desire to be filled with the Spirit of God, once it happened in Acts 2, we see it happening again through His power in Acts 3 to the, to the poor guy who was uh, uh, lame... And, and, and was it lame or blind? Whatever it was in the third chapter. And, and um, Peter and John said, Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And he went into the temple shouting and praising God. And they said, what in the world's happened to you? I don't know, but it's happened. And then, because of that, they are arrested. They're thrown in jail. They're beat. They're tortured. They get released and they go back to the same people that they had just been baptized with the Spirit of God. And it said they prayed, thank you God for giving us this privilege to be persecuted for you. To be beaten for you. God, give us the strength to keep doing it. And it says again the Spirit of God fell on them. Except this time, He filled them with boldness. And when He filled them with boldness... It says, the place where they were shook. There was an earthquake happening right there in their room. Do it again, Daddy. Shake our room with your power. God wants to do it in your heart. One more time, we're going to sing that. We're going to allow God just to place His Spirit in us again.
We have a few moments to stay and just be in prayer. Prayer for these that are around the altar. Prayer for your services and your home churches tomorrow. And pray again for that freshness, that infilling fire of the Holy Spirit for your own heart and your own life that will make you something different when you worship, when you uh, do ministry. God can fill you afresh and anew. That should be the prayer of our hearts every day. If you must leave, as I've said before, please leave quietly and do your talking outside the tabernacle until after the, the altar is cleared. Again, God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening for our evening service.